Hello everyone, welcome to Off Grid, the Not Really About Crosswords podcast. We have solved a cryptic crossword and we've each picked a favourite word to talk about and one clue we like, which we're going to explain to you. And if you're a crosswordy sort of person and want to have a go at the same puzzle we did, the one we tackled this time was the Guardian Cryptic from Thursday the 10th of July 2021. It's number 28468, set by Philistine. So you could pause your podcast playback and go find that first. We'll put a link to the Guardian's puzzle page in the show notes. But if not, don't worry, because you don't need to have solved or even seen the puzzle to follow along with our chat. But before we go any further, we should introduce ourselves. My name is Dave. And I'm Void. Uh, Along with a little chat about things we find interesting, we'll also have a short quiz inspired by the puzzle. So a sort of general knowledge quiz, if you like. It's a good job you're here, though, for that, isn't it? Welcome back to the pod, General. Hello. How are you? I'm very good. Good to have you back. Okay, listener, before we go any further, we're going to read out our favourite clues. If you're not a solver, don't panic, because we will explain how they work for you a little bit later. Uh, So, General, what was your favourite clue? My favourite clue was um, 8 and 14 down, uh, one of the long ones, and it was intermingling to begin with. Ted Heath and Baker stop fighting. Oh, and that's four letters, three letters, seven letters, by the way. Yeah, and Dave? The one I liked was, well, amongst many, of course, was 15 across, and the clue for that was... Beast is first to get involved in row, five letters. And what about you, Void? Mine was 12 across, nature's pull. Possibly nothing better, two, four, five. You can have a ponder about those for a bit, or just ignore them if you like. We'll give you the answers and explanations after we've heard a little bit more from the general. General, what word in the puzzle gave you a bit of inspiration to talk about something? Well, uh, I was inspired by the 723 down clue, which was actor in a rumpled Mac, eight letters. Um, And that clue conjured up for me the image of Peter Falk as Columbo, often seen in a rumpled Mac. Um, And in fact, if you Google the clue, um, Peter Falk, Columbo comes up as the the top suggested answer in front of the actual answer. So... (laughs) I even wrote Peter Falk's name in the margin. Oh. <laughs> of course, no one would ever um, actually Google a crossword clue. <laughs> so, yeah, that reminded me of quite a lot of different Columbo trivia. There are lots of interesting facts about him and lots of kind of meta trivia as well. There's the famous case of uh, somebody who uh, put in a... Somebody who had a book of trivia and they claimed that his first name was Philip. Uh, which then cropped up in various other sources, including Trivial Pursuit, um, and was then the basis of a trial over whether you can copyright a fact or not, which is ah, quite an interesting yeah. One. Now, was that a... Uh, oh, what's the word for the copyright trap when uh, dictionaries put put fake words they've created in? Mount Weasel. Uh, there is a word for it. Mount that's Weasel, it. that's yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> was it one of those? Oh, no, of course it I think it was. Philip yeah. wouldn't be... Yeah, I, I thought his name was kind of never f- physically mentioned in the audience. Yeah, I, there is a suspicion that maybe he flashed his badge at one point, and somebody was having a pause. Yeah, to see I think there's. Um, yeah, I think some of the props, you know, the the graphic stuff in the show says that his name is Frank, 
um, which suits him a bit a bit better than yes, I think. Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah, I I, <laughs> I I like the idea that he doesn't have a first name, but he's just this kind of wandering mysterious figure. Yeah, it suits a show about uh, mysteries and uh, dangling threads that there's this kind of false fact running around annoying people just like the real Columbo does in the show. Mm. <laughs> have, you got, um, have you got just one more thing for us, sir? Just one more thing. <laughs> I, I think that's the title of his autobiography. It was called Just One More Thing or something like that. As it would be, you know. You've you got a catchphrase and you put it on the front of your book, don't you? But my, my main bit of Columbo trivia that I wanted to bring up um, is that although everybody knows that Columbo's wife is mentioned a lot and never seen on screen, a bit like uh, Niles Crane's wife, she was actually seen on screen quite a lot in an entirely different programme because she had her own show, Mrs. Columbo. Wow, <laughs> wow I've never heard this. Yeah, there was a spin-off of Columbo, or very, very loosely a spin-off, called Mrs. Columbo, and that was about as far as the kind of overlapping elements went, really. But it was a bit of a fa- failure. Well, a, a bit of a failure. It was a complete failure. Um, <laughs> the fact that the rest of us have never um, heard of it. It's kind uh, of... What's her name? Uh, it had mm. Kate Mulgrew, I think her name is, um, in the role of Mrs. Columbo, who oh, yeah. people right, probably yeah. know Captain from Jane, Star Trek or Orange is the New Black she was in as well. Um and yeah, she played this character who it was mentioned that her husband was a LA uh, detective called Columbo. Um, <laughs> but uh, the show did quite badly. And having realised belatedly that it didn't really work, they started trying to change the name of the show in the TV listings to try and convince people to watch it. So at various points, it was known as Mrs. Columbo, Kate Columbo. Kate the detective, and Kate loves a mystery. <laughs> they were really oh, trying hard for it, weren't they? So there you go. Oh, Columbo, Columbo did have a wife. She just appeared in an entirely different programme. But, but actually, as part of Mrs. Columbo, as I understand it, they eventually uncoupled the shows completely and... It was implied on stream that her husband was a different Columbo, also a detective. <laughs> oh dear! But she got divorced from him. She got divorced from this other Columbo. So the original, the, the prime Columbo timeline was intact. <laughs> Excellent. The Columbo prime. So. Captain Mannering right. was another one whose wife was mentioned but never seen on screen, wasn't? Wasn't he? Was she Elizabeth Mannering? I think. And there's Arthur Daly's Ur indoors as well. Yeah. Okay. Dave, do you want to run your favourite clue bias one more time and then give us the explanation? Okay, if you remember, it was Beast is first to get involved in Rao. Five letters. Uh, that was a container clue where Beast was the definition. First to get meant the letter G. Involved in was the insertion indicator telling us to put the G inside row, or as it turned out, actually row. One of those things where the spelling is trying to put you off in terms of which pronunciation you're looking at. So it's row as a tier, as in a row or bank of seats in an auditorium. So it's kind of interesting 
also to see how other people clue a word that you yourself have written a clue for, see the different approaches, and that's part of why I like that because I've written a clue for Tiger as well. Uh, I, I think I've set a version of that clue myself before. The, it's so we, tempting because you see tear and you see row and you think I can get a good surface out of this. So I've seen yeah. that come up a, a few times, including in my own puzzles. I'd spotted or I'd learned somewhere that tear, T-I-E-R, is the German word for animal. Ah, so you've got animal and then animal. Given that the word tiger in German is also still tiger, which is handy, it's not something, some completely different thing, I thought there's an opportunity to write a clue entirely in German. Um, so I, I, as well as writing one clue in French, I've now written one clue in German. <laughs> there you go, I'm... as well. So, Void, follow that by telling us about the answer that inspired you to do a bit of mental rambling. Well, I liked the clue which gave the answer of misquotation. So I thought, yeah, let's look up a few misquotations <laughs> and um, see if you guys know who said, let them eat cake. Well, it's attributed mm. to Marie Antoinette, isn't it? But presumably she's... Yeah. Well, obviously she didn't say it in English, for starters. <laughs> yeah, I think the safe answer there is many, many, many people who <laughs> thought they were quoting Marie Antoinette, but certainly not Marie Antoinette. That's the one person who definitely didn't say it. Yeah, well, you're right that she didn't say it, and it's attributed to her. But the people who think it was attributed to her wrong because it was Jean-Jacques Rousseau and he was referring to quote a great princess but it's believed to have actually been Maria Theresa of Spain um, who also presumably won't have said sur non plus de pain qu'il mange de la brioche if there's no bread let them eat brioche because she would have said it, said it in Spanish I guess but uh <laughs> Yeah, so that's one that's not, uh, that's a famous misquotation. How about this one? It's life, Jim, but not as we know it. Who said that? Well, it was that song, wasn't it? Star Trek. I think it probably was said in that. Ding! Yeah, that's actually the first uh, quotation for exactly that wording. Oh, it's no. life, Jim, I, but not as we I, know it. I can't remember the name of the band. Who? What were they called? Uh, they were called The Firm. And they had a hit with Star Trek in, in 1987. Um, and I think that's about a year or so after another band called The Firm had a hit in the States with a song called Radioactive. And that American band called The Firm featured Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin. Well, there we are. Uh, yes. Point today for that one. Okay, uh, I've got a couple more. Well, there's there are quotations which aren't they're just people guessing the word slightly wrong. So a couple of famous ones are, please, sir, can I have some more? Yeah, which I think it should be, I want some more, shouldn't it? Is that right? Yeah, that's from Oliver. Please, sir, I want some more. Yeah. And so I suppose that's what he says in the musical, is it? Please, sir, can I have some more? Is that the, the musical has introduced the misquotation there? I think that's what he says in the musical, isn't it? Unless or maybe it is. Yeah, well, we'll have to look it up. <laughs> All right, another one is, alas, poor Yorick, I knew him well. Oh, yeah. That's, a, from... that's a classic, isn't it? It uh, should be, 
Alas, what you are a kind of hit ratio, isn't it? A fellow infinite jest of most excellent fantasy. Yes, from the Grave Digger scene in Hamlet. Yeah. Okay, and I'll do one more. Now, who first actually said elementary, my dear Watson? I'll take a punt on Basil Rathbone. That sounds like a good good stab to me. Because I mean, Holmes has been portrayed by so many different actors in stage yeah. film and telly over the years. Although uh, it's it probably going to be one of, the, it, one of the actors that's from ages and ages ago. It doesn't sound like a Jeremy Brett sort of thing. I can't imagine him saying that. Rathbone sounds like a good good stab to me. Well, it actually predates Rathbone playing Holmes in the films. Uh, it dates from 1909, and it was said by a character called Smith. Now, would you like to try and spell his name? Is this Woodhouse's Smith with a P? It ah. is. <laughs> yeah, it's the character Smith from the novel Smith, journalist. Um Elementary, my dear, what's an elementary? Mermaid Smith from 1909. So there you go. There's a few. That is a good fact. Oh, no, I've got one more. I've got one more. Right. We've got a quick one. Who said, not a lot of people know that? Was it Rob Brydon or Steve Coogan, maybe? Or was it would have originated it, would they? Uh, it was actually <laughs> Peter Sellers doing an impression of Michael yeah. Caine. After that, uh, Michael Caine did name one of his books. Not many, pe- not many people know that. I think he called his book. But it was, it was so after. he was misquotating the misquotation yeah. of himself. Yeah. <laughs> it's the book, three hundred pages of him explaining that he never actually said that in the first place. <laughs> well, quite handily for sort of our circumstances, it's a book full of obscure little bits of trivia. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> Maybe we'll come back to that at some point then. I'll try and fish my copy out. <laughs> ah, you have it. Excellent. General, would you like to uh, read your favourite clue again and then give us an explanation of it? Okay. Uh, so my favourite clue, which was 8.14 down, uh, was intermingling to begin with. Ted Heath and Baker stop fighting. To begin with, we've got Berry, which uh, in the trademark Philistine style requires you to separate intermingling into two parts. So the inter is actually inter, as in to bury someone. So we've got bury for inter. And then we've got mingling as the anagram indicator. And we're anagramming Heath and only the T from Ted to begin with. And then finally we have Chet, as in Chet Baker, the musician. Put it together trumpeter, for... Trumpeter, wasn't he? Trumpeter, I think, yeah. yeah. Put it together for bury the hatchet, defined by stop fighting. Well, no. Sorry, one, I, I, I like that clue. No wonder I couldn't pass that. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe if you solved a few more philistine puzzles, you'd always be looking out for a lift and separate because I, he tends to have one in a, at least one in every puzzle, I would say. But I think this puzzle actually had two or three of them, didn't it? No spoilers, of course. <laughs> I know what you mean. You, you're not feeling so cheated when you discover it because you know you should have expected it from that setter. Uh, Non-crossworders or beginner beginner solvers might not know that uh, often if you solve enough of one particular set of puzzles, you can get to know their 
character and quirks and it's a lot of people feel that they can actually develop a sort of friendly relationship as it were with the uh with the setter or i mean a bit of a one-way one i suppose <laughs> but uh yeah you can definitely end up having favorite setters and uh and non-favorite ones to put it politely <laughs> dave what's your word you wanted to have a chat about the one I'm going to talk about is actually one across, the answer to which was nickname. This is a word that is part of a process called, and I needed to, I knew the, knew the process itself, but needed to go and look up the name for it. It's rebracketing or meta-analysis. Do those names mean anything to you guys? I think I possibly know the phenomenon you're talking about. You probably know where I'm going with this, yeah. Yeah, because this occurred to me when I solved the puzzle and I remembered that there's a interesting etymological fact about nickname, but I couldn't remember the fancy word for it that you just used. Or well, you used more than one, didn't you? Is it the phenomenon where uh, the example I can remember is a narange became yeah. an orange and hence an orange. So the, the first letter of one word got shifted into the uh into the previous word yes Is that the idea that's pretty much it it's it's people mishearing the join between two words and typically with english yeah it happens either when you've got the article an in front of a noun that begins with a vowel sound and the hearer mistakenly thinks that the noun begins with n or the other way around yeah so a nickname was originally an eek name uh, e-k-e which was, eek was an old English word for addition or extra. So it was an extra name, an additional name. Uh, some other examples of that, you've got a notch, as in uh, a little nick or a gouge in something. That was originally uh, from an old French, un oche, spelt O-C-H-E. Keep that in mind. Okay. Uh, in French, it eventually acquired an H, so the present-day spelling is hoche. But in English, we misheard it. The end got transferred across and it became a notch. But you may be way ahead of me here. The original spelling was retained in one very specific context. Well, the pronunciation changed. And that's where we get the Oki in darts from. Because that is spelled O-C-H-E, which is a sort of notch on the ground that you stand behind. I've got some others that kind of went... I I thought you were going to say that... It was uh, retained in the phrase hotchpotch. No, I think that's probably uh, entirely different origins, I would imagine. Um, There are ones that have gone the other way and they've lost the initial N. So apron, it's quite an interesting etymology sort of trail backwards with apron. Uh, Middle English, it had the N, it was napron. Came from an old French naperon which ultimately came from the Latin mappa. So somewhere along the line in French, the M changed to an N. But mappa, obviously, is the word that gave us map. But it was the the Latin word for both a map and a tablecloth. Um, I I, I suspect you imagine a tablecloth is obviously a a large cloth that that gets folded up, and you think the original maps were on cloth, weren't they? So it was probably a meaning that kind of got transferred Mm. by extension from one to the other. Yeah, because the famous Mappa Mundi is uh, in Hereford Cathedral, isn't it? 
yeah. a, a medieval map of the world. Is it 14th century? Something like that. Something like that, yeah. So tablecloths actually had a pretty huge impact on the language then, because it's also where we get exchequer from, isn't it? The checkered um, tablecloths that the bankers would yeah. use. Yeah, yeah. Ah. You could you could write a history of the English language starting from the the point of tablecloths. <laughs> um, what else have we got? We've got the adder, as in the the viper, the snake. Uh, that in old English was a nadder. So if that had stayed that way, you could have had Rowan Atkinson playing Black Nadder. <laughs> the other Germanic languages, obviously English is a Germanic language in its roots, uh, have retained that spelling. So the, the current German word for that snake is Natter. So that's kept the end. Okay. Uh, you mentioned you mentioned orange. Uh, yeah. So it's an interesting one because it shows that that process doesn't just happen in English. It happens in other languages as well. It's, they're kind of uh, susceptible to it just as much as we are. Um, because it happened with orange, actually, when it was in French. It started off as a Hindi word, naranji, and it sort of gradually worked its way west through Europe, uh, the Italians, naranji, and then came to Spain, naranja, which I think is still the current Spanish word for an orange. And then, for some reason, when it got to France, they called it pomme d'orange. <laughs> so... So they got they, they orange were, apple, orange apple, yeah, exactly. So they were the ones who threw away the N, and so by the time it got to us, the N had already gone. When I was in Tokyo one time, I visited a juggling shop, the name of which is Naranja or Naranja, as they pronounce it. Nice. I've no idea why they're named after that. I probably should have asked them at the time, but it didn't occur to me to. They put juggling with oranges, orange. will they? You can juggle an orange, can't you? Yeah. Well, I guess so, yeah. Uh, tend to be a bit messy if you drop them, though. Uh, one last one last bit on that subject is it's not just the, the an, but the the can, can fall subject to that as well. The Spanish phrase el lagarto means the lizard. And that's where we get the word alligator from. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Uh, of course, all those all those uh, Arabic words that began with al, because that was the. We've got alcohol and alchemy and algebra and alcove and those kind of things. Alkali. Yeah. Uh, I guess those things probably happen in largely pre-literate populations, because it's not likely to happen when you're seeing the word written down, is it? I suppose the age of that has passed. Um on the subject of things coming into English from ancient languages, Void, I think your chosen clue takes us in that direction. You want to tell us about what that was and how it worked? Okay, yeah. My favourite clue was 12 across, and that was nature's pull. Possibly nothing better, 2, 4, 5. Uh, this was an anagram clue. Uh, possibly was the anagram indicator word, Um so I think some people wouldn't be keen on that word as an anagram, but what it's saying is uh, if you rearrange the letters of nature's pool, you might possibly get to the answer. Um, and the answer was defined by nothing better, and it's the Latin phrase ne plus ultra, literally not more great, I think. 
I like that clue because it was nice and short and succinct and um, slightly hidden anagram. Uh, but uh, yeah, it all worked together pretty well, I thought. I think uh, possibly is a is a perfectly serviceable anagram indicator, isn't it? Compared to some of the others that get used, you, you can you can see immediately how and why possibly would work. So I've certainly seen uh, plenty fine. worse. Some centers yeah. use pretty much any old word as an anagram indicator. Don't they? I've probably used worse myself as well. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am. Um... I often do a, a, a co-solve with some of my friends and um, one of them often has a reaction on working out how the clue worked with, it's a bloody anagram, anything's a bloody anagram indicator, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Which is her catchphrase now. I think it's time for some general knowledge quizzery. General, what have you got for us? Well, we've already heard about some misquotations, um, but uh, that clue made me think of Casablanca, obviously. Um, and I've got a question. Casablanca won the Oscar for Best Picture in 1943. What's the only other film named after a city to win this award? Ooh. Ooh, I can think of one it might be. Hmm. I mean, as the whole name, I think there might be some others that have cities in, their in name. them. Yeah. yeah, right. So just the just the name of the city is the entire yeah. title, of like the film. like Casablanca. The whole title okay. is the name of the city. Is the answer a film starring Tom Hanks? Uh, I don't think it is. No, uh, I, haven't, okay. I haven't seen the film, but I don't think he's in it. So that rules Philadelphia out. <laughs> That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, Paris, Berlin, LA, New York. Uh, <laughs> Tokyo. Uh, I, I don't think Philadelphia won the best Oscar, uh, best picture. I think I, Hanks yeah. himself won best actor for it. Yeah, yeah that's what I was thinking of. I didn't, I didn't know. Maybe the the decade, perhaps. Well, my hint is oh. that it won almost sixty years after Casablanca, but it's set about twenty years before Casablanca. Oh, Christ. So, 2003, it won, 60 years after, and it was Roughly set in did, 1923. Yeah. So, that would that be a, that's a little bit early for the artist. Oh, that's not the name of the city, anyway. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> ah, set in, set in the 1920s, the Jazz Age, uh, Chicago. There you go. Oh, well worked out. Um, And I've got my my next question. Was inspired by the nickname Clue. And uh, simple question. Three words. Who was Codex? C-O-D-E-X? Yep. Mm. I bet there's been a crossword setter who called himself that somewhere down the line. Hmm. Funny you should mention that. Uh. Ah. (laughs) Ah. Does that mean Ooh. the answer is a crossword setter? It may do. <laughs> it may do. I haven't got a clue. I don't think I've heard this before. Codex. Obviously, it's... Um, and if it is? It's, it's a word for a book, isn't it? It's, it's one of the original words for a book at when they first became a volume of papers all bound a, and stitched bound together. As opposed to 
scrolled, yeah. 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 Code X, anything in that? Um, well, you kind of think X is Zimini's, but uh, there's no reason why you would have another. Uh, would it be somebody yeah. follow, a follower of Zimini's, perhaps? I don't know. Got any clues for us? Yeah, I suppose a clue is that it's staring you in the face a little bit, really. Codex. That's the beginning parts of the person's first and second name. Yes, yes, I'm seeing exaggerated pointing on the screen, which I think means Dave might have the answer. Uh, Could supply the answer in Morse, could we? Is it Colin Dexter? It is. Should have spotted that earlier. He famously yeah. liked crosswords, didn't famously he? Famously liked crosswords. Famously named Morse and Lewis after two of his rivals in the uh, AZ competitions. Um, but he also set crosswords himself in the Oxford Times, I think it was, for quite a while. And his name was Codex. Um, and yeah, what a great pseudonym. It's what a great good... pseudonym for somebody who writes books and is a crossword fan. Yeah. <laughs> or a crossword setter to be uh, called Codex. <laughs> yeah, it's the kind of name where you think he was born to write crosswords, really, isn't it? But um, there's quite a few of those going around. Quite a few people who have perfect names, like um, Philip Marlowe, of course, to mention Humphrey Bogart again in the podcast. But um, Philip Marlowe. Uh, is the name of a setter who sets as Sleuth after his uh, fictional namesake. Um, Also as Hypnos, as a reference to the big sleep. Um, And I think also Seamus, which is a word for a detective, I think. It is, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, I don't know what's the origin of that as Seamus as a detective. Any ideas? There was probably some historical yeah. thing of Irishmen, I would imagine. I mean, there was yeah. there was Irish policeman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a film with Burt Reynolds called Seamus. I think he was a cop in that. I suspect. Ah, that might have helped. Gumshoe is another one, isn't it? That I've learned from Crossroads. Yeah, I don't think Philip yeah. Marlowe is using that one yet. No, but that's, <laughs> that's a good choice. Um, I've got a couple more. Of these uh, well-suited names, there's yeah. um, uh, Tramp, who sits in the Guardian, of course. Uh, yeah. His surname is Walker, so um, oh, you know, somebody who tramps around. I didn't know that. I also, like quite a good self-effacing name for a setter to use. Um, and Screw, another another setter. His surname is Warder, so like a prison guard is a screw or a warder, <laughs> but somebody who screws with your head if you're a silver. I sometimes think that I'd like to contact random random members of the public who have names that would suit them well <laughs> as, as crossword setters. Excuse me, have you considered? And try and recruit yeah. them to the fold, yes. Well, you know, like those people who chase up the long-lost descendants of people who have died without leaving wills so that the people yeah. who claim their, their inheritance from a, a long-lost, obscure family member. I, I want to offer a similar service where I... I'd like to find somebody out there whose surname is Bell and say, have you thought about setting crosswords under the name Toxin? T-O-C-S-I-N, which is a type of Bell, but also sounds like Toxin, T-O-X-I-N. And lots of crossword setters have a venomous tendency for their surnames, so that would work quite well. Uh, or somebody called Chris could get together with somebody called Alice and set as Chrysalis. Would be a good one. <laughs> 
I think we need to be more proactive in bringing people into the world of setting. Find I'm people getting... who have good pseudonyms, and then the rest will flow from there. I'm getting the feeling, General, that this isn't a subject which you've just researched for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> this is something that's been preying on your mind for some time, is it? <laughs> No, yeah, I, I like hearing about pseudonyms and finding out what the origin is. Um, and uh, sometimes it's quite a, um underwhelming thing in the end when you find out that it's, I changed that pseudonym because it, it just sounded good or I picked it from a book. But I like the ones where it turns out that it's actually the, you know, every fifth letter in their name gives the French equivalent of this word. And when you add around <laughs> that word, it's actually a city and columbia or something <laughs> yeah. that kind of nominative determinism yeah i think i mentioned online earlier in the week that i'd spotted i mean doing the puzzle from the guardian here do you know the guardian's science editor oh yeah <laughs> is, is ian sample so his name is i sample uh, how, <laughs> how nominative determinism could you get for that <laughs> excellent yeah. My third question was inspired by 122 down, which was not another word. And that made me think of the phrase, mum's the word. And I thought, I don't really know where this phrase comes from. So I looked it up. And what do you reckon? How old is the phrase, mum's the word? Uh, I'm going to say at least 500 years old. Because I'm thinking of the medieval mama plays. And those were plays by actors who mm. did everything in mime, I think. And so yeah, I think you're speak. on the right lines there. Yeah, I didn't connect the mama aspect. Mum meant a mumbled syllable, basically, or the smallest syllable you could make. And it's meant that for a, a very long time, much longer than it's meant your mum. But um, the phrase mum's the word is from about 1663, according to the OED, um, which is about 60 years after the OED has its first recording of mum being used to refer to somebody's mother. So yeah, there you go. I think yeah. on some level, I've always assumed that mum's a word was some kind of World War II thing, like, um, you know, careless voices. <laughs> but what's, what's the phrase? Careless words, calls? Ca uh, careless words. Loose, loose lips sink ships. That's the one, yeah. It always had that kind of vibe to me, so I assumed it was something like that. But uh, yeah, it seems likely to me that it's probably related to mime as well. With mimes, that's to do with Possibly, dumb yeah. shows and and. Uh, I think mime is to do well. with the, the same. It, mime is imitation, isn't it? As, as in, in mimesis. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly. So possibly there. Do you know how far back "mum" meaning a small syllable goes? Do you know how yeah, I think is? it. I think it's back to kind of 600, 700 years ago. I haven't got the exact figure here, but it did. Right. Uh, that, it's one of those um, things. Middle English, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to be Seems to English. go back to about 1400, if not before. So. Right. Yeah. Cool. Right. I think on that note, it's probably time to wrap up. So thanks for staying with us, listener. If you want to hear more of that sort of stuff, subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts. We'll have show notes at tlmb.net forward slash off grid you can get in touch with us if you want we're on twitter i'm at skirwingle and i'm at the void tlmb and i'd like to recommend that you all go and buy a royal kendama from oddballs.co.uk 
general, do you have anyone you'd like to recommend to us? Uh, yeah, you might want to check out Charlie Meffern on Twitter or go to chameleoncrosswords.wordpress.com. Um, and if you've solved 18 across in Philistine's puzzle, then you might find 26 across from Methuselah's puzzle of the 4th of April 2021 quite easy as well. <laughs> we'll be sure to go and check that one out. Thanks very much for helping us out. General knowledge. Happy to help. All right. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. Bye. 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 That was Off Grid. If you enjoyed it, please tell a friend. Uh, if you want to rate and review us, that'd be great. And subscribe, of course, you know that's what you want to do. The theme tune was by the excellent pop band The Trudy, who you can check out on YouTube, Bandcamp, wherever. Okay, we'll be back in two weeks. Join us then. Bye-bye. Happy to serve. No, that's just going too far into the military. <laughs> Put the spade down. Put the spade down. <laughs>